0: Thank you. The King of glory, the King of grace, worship Him. We give thanks to Him. With His blood, He's purchased us. By His Spirit, He will now teach us. So let's open a Bible. Uh, Take take a Bible in hand and get over to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. If you're using the church Bible... That's going to be on page 553. Last week, uh, we launched a, a very short series on this, this curious, this frustrating book of Ecclesiastes. And I got us into the book by taking a look at it, it, its most famous passage, uh, To Everything There Is A season." the time for every matter under heaven that's the most famous text in the book but now we're going to look at what is arguably the second most famous runner-up if not equally as famous it's verse 2 of chapter 1 vanity of vanities says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity And I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 to put that in its context. Then we're going to go to the end of the book, to chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 8 through 14 because you'll see that verse 8 of chapter 12 repeats verse 2 of chapter 1. In other words, the author has given us a nice little kind of bow tie wrap up of his book uh, with verse 8 of chapter 12. And then he comments on how and why he wrote the book. So let me read to you verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1 and then 12, 8 through 14. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now over to chapter 12. Verse 8, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are their collected sayings and they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there's no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh the end of the matter all has been heard fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil this is God's word Holy Spirit of God now speak to us Point us to the truth of these texts, and in doing so, point us to Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who promises to guide and to lead us and to take us one day home with him. We pray in his name. Amen. So this last Friday late afternoon, I went over to the gym, and I was on the elliptical, and I, was, I, I had my notes there. I was reviewing my notes. I had a rough outline sort of for the message this morning. I was taking a look at that, and I was thinking about chapter 1, verse 2, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And I was thinking about that and how fallen the world is, how broken things are around us. And as I was doing that, I glanced up at like one of the... I don't know, there are like 79 screens in the workout area of this gym. And I glanced up at one of them. And there, there on the screen is this statement. The world is out of sorts. I go, wow. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about right here. The world is out of sorts. Vanity of vanities. And then that screen was followed by this screen. We'll fix it Super Bowl Sunday. Okay? Okay? And I think, wow, wow, maybe all I need to do this Sunday is just say, hey, guys, watch the Super Bowl, you know? (laughs) But then I thought, who's we? Who's going to fix it on Super Bowl Sunday? And I'm thinking about, and then came the final screen. (laughs) That's it. I mean, why turn to scripture when you can turn to Snickers? You know, I mean, I was thinking, okay, Snickers, the fountain of all wisdom, you know, pearls of insight, like, you know, life is sweet, especially with Snickers or let life make you smile. And if it doesn't eat a Snickers or the best things in life cost only not best thing cost only 99 cents, which is blatantly false. <laughs> so for that reason. I mean, you know, coming out of that like rabbit track on the elliptical, I suddenly realized, I am so thankful for God's word. I'm so thankful for all 66 books. I'm so thankful for the book of Ecclesiastes. Lots of people don't like this book. I've heard this book called The Black Sheep of Scripture. I've heard it called the resident alien of the 66 books of the Bible. It just doesn't belong here. And if the book does say things that just, they seem to be so unbiblical. I mean, look at chapter 1, verse 2, kind of our sort of theme verse for the day. Vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The, the NIV, some of you knew, use the NIV. The NIV translates it, meaningless. Meaningless. All is meaningless. And you hear that and you put it alongside, oh, I don't know, like John 10, verse 10, where Jesus is talking and he says, I have come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And there's the promise of a Savior, a promise of significance and direction. And, and truth in life. How does that fit with vanity of vanities? All is vanity. it's just that the, the book seems Ecclesiastes seems so unbiblical, so like un New Testament, so ungospel, so unlife by faith in Christ. Now, if this book, Ecclesiastes, was written by Solomon. And I believe there are good reasons for that to be the case, although he's never identified as Solomon, and we can't be fully sure. But if written by Solomon, then he's saying things here that are in direct contradiction to what his dad wrote, his dad being King David. Let me give you an example. David, in his writings, which are in the book of Psalms, In some of his psalms, he will reference uh, the Old Testament belief, understanding in life after death. Now, that Old Testament belief in life after death was hazy. It didn't have all the New Testament revelation and some of the later prophets would come after David. But but it was there. They understood that there was life after death, that there was life after this life. Here's an example from one of David's psalms. Psalm 17, verse 15. What a wonderful verse this is. As for me, one day I shall behold your face. He's talking to God here. To the Lord God. One day I will behold your face in righteousness. When I awake... From this life, from death, from the dream that it is, so to speak. When I awake, I shall see you face to face, and I shall be satisfied. I mean, what an affirmation of life after death! And the satisfaction that that will bring. So now you see that. And then you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. One of uh, several instances where Solomon just is writing things. It's just, what? How does that fit with Psalm 17? Here it is. Ecclesiastes 3.19. What happens to humans and what happens to animals is the same thing. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, the same ruach same life, breath. They all have the same. And humans have no advantage over animals. How does that fit with Psalm 17? No wonder an ancient rabbi commenting on Ecclesiastes wrote this. He said, oh, Solomon, where is your wisdom in this book? Your words are contradict the words of your father David so why on God's good earth is this book in his holy Bible to answer that question I'm going to focus on three words this morning three key words two of them in the opening verses of chapter 1 and the third over in the conclusion of chapter 12. And in focusing on these three key words, you're going to see why you and I really do need the book of Ecclesiastes. We really need it. Because what we have here in this book is the impassioned testimony of an Old Testament believer who has some real wisdom practical wisdom for us today as we follow Christ. So let me take you to the first word. First word is the word Koheleth. That's the Hebrew, transliterated. and that's translated preacher in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1 and elsewhere down over in chapter 12, verse 8. It's used a number of times in the book, and the ESV has translated it as preacher. Verse 1, the words of the preacher. Verse 2, vanities of vanities, says the preacher. I do not like the translation preacher. Nor do most modern translations. Now the ESV translates it preacher because the ESV has positioned itself to be in the line of the King James whenever possible they want to use King James a translation because of the the, the 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 reverence the impact of the King James translation on on the English language and so they've made that choice here to carry forward the King James translation but most other modern translations don't handle it that way. Uh, when you hear the word preacher, here's why I don't like it. When you hear the word preacher, when I hear the word preacher, we're expecting a sermon. And so we naturally, when we see this, okay, so this is the sermon now. This book is a sermon of the preacher. And like any sermon, it's going to have like a, like a, a, a verse upon which it is based. So we naturally then think, as we read it, the words of the preacher, and we read verse 2, which is so kind of aphoristic, so so terse and to the point. Vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And we think, okay, that's the theme of the sermon. And we're now going to get a sermon about how life is meaningless and pointless and futile. In other words, the translation preacher Sets us up in the wrong way. I mean, why do we need to hear... Why do we today, with newspapers and news feeds and constant alerts on our phones about what's going on around us, why do we need to hear another sermon on how, how frustrating the world is? We don't need that. This guy... If He's a preacher. He just comes across as just one more complainer, one more critic, one more skeptic, one more cynic. But the word does not mean preacher. It does not. You'll notice there in the ESV, look at the, look at the page there, and you'll see the little the footnote, one, which drops you to the bottom of the page. And then you'll say, uh, he, you'll read, or convener or collector Hebrew Koheleth so throughout Ecclesiastes the word Koheleth is based on the, a verb that just means someone who gathers someone who brings together someone who convenes someone who draws together a crowd someone who arranges for people to meet in order to speak and in this case Koheleth, the convener, has gathered a group, so to speak, not to preach a sermon. He's not a preacher. He's gathered the group in order to give his testimony. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's not a sermon. It's a testimony. It's someone, Koheleth, sharing his personal experience his frustrations and his great moments of triumph so to speak as he seeks to live with God in the midst of all the brokenness and injustices of life and his testimony is one in which he candidly struggles with cynicism with disappointment with confusion So for instance, verse two is not the statement of the theme of a sermon. It's the cry of his heart that he feels sometimes like life just seems vanity of vanities. It's almost as if he's saying to people that are listening to him, "Do you ever feel that way? Because I sure do. And that's the kind of thing we get in a testimony. We expect that in a testimony. This is someone who's speaking candidly. And who's broken and confused just like us. Now, the wonderful thing is that while he struggles with cynicism in the book, he also, in his struggle, finds joy. Joy from God. God as the only source of joy. Look at the end of chapter 2, just turn over a page. Chapter 2, verse 24. This is one of, oh, uh, half a dozen times when he'll say something like this, pointing to joy. Chapter 2, verse 24. In between chapter 1 and where we are in chapter 2, he's shared a lot of his life experiences. How he tried this and did that in order to find significance and direction. And now he comes down to verse 24 and he says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat, which he's talked about doing, and drink, which he's talked about doing, and find enjoyment in his toil. He's not talked about finding joy yet. There's nothing better than for man to find that. And this also I saw is from the hand of God for, here comes a key statement for the book, for apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? God himself is the source of joy. Joy doesn't come as an add-on to the food we eat. Joy doesn't come as kind of the byproduct of the stuff we buy, the stuff we use, the stuff we own. Joy is different. And he's saying, I found that you can have all that stuff and not have joy. Joy comes from God. Joy is the underestimated, underplayed theme of the book of Ecclesiastes and Kohalath's testimony in Ecclesiastes is a testimony, testimony of a man who despite all the sin and evil and brokenness and injustice around him learned to find joy from trusting and fearing God and that's a testimony that we all can learn from I struggle with cynicism you struggle with cynicism we struggle with bitterness we struggle with complaining some of you may know the name J.I. Packer J.I. Packer Christian author and teacher he wrote one of the top five books that I recommend to people Knowing God is the name of the book. If you've never read Knowing God in the course of 2020, read it. It's a great... Now, J.I. Packer, when he was seven years old, he was in an accident. Uh, This is back in the, like the 1930s, okay? He's in an accident. And as a result of the accident, he lost a piece of bone at the top of his skull. So his brain was unprotected by bone, where that hole is. 1930s, they don't have the medicine, stuff that we have today. So Packer, as a kid, had to wear an aluminum plate on his head. He couldn't run around and play with his friends, he couldn't do sports. He couldn't do much of anything. He had this plate on his head. Well, you know kids. And you can just imagine the, the, the jokes, the, the ridicule, the isolation that he felt as a 12-year-old. His way of coping was to become sarcastic and bitter, cynical comments, looking down on people angry with life, angry with people around him. But God got involved, brought him to real faith in Christ. He had had a nominal faith, but he be, became a, a real Christian who really got it. I, Jesus is, is my savior and my Lord. And then God started to break up this cynicism and this bitterness, this resentment about life. And God used the book of Ecclesiastes to do that. And this man that has written so much about so many books of the Bible is such an incredible thinker about the Christian faith. His favorite book in the Bible is the book of Ecclesiastes because it rescued him from cynicism. Here's what he writes. Cynics are people who have grown skeptical about life and who look down on claims to sincerity, morality, and value. Feeling disillusioned, discouraged, and hurt by the experience of life, their pain, pride forbids them to think that others might be wiser than they. Mixed up teens. Let me just stop right here. This is a special word for young people. This is me. When I was a 15 year old. Mixed up. Becoming angry and bitter and cynical. Mixed up teens. Slip easily into cynicism. And this is what I was doing. But by God's grace. I was tamed thoroughly, and I see Ecclesiastes as having done much of that taming. This book, the testimony of the author of this book, the God who's at work in the life of Koheleth in this book, this God is a lifesaver for us. This book holds out joy in the midst of disappointment. This book comes alongside you in your cynicism. Comes alongside you in your cynicism. Totally gets it. Totally gets it. And then calls you out of that. Calls you to more. Calls you to to reverential trust and faith in God. Okay, so how would he do that? Well, let's take a look at the second word. It's again in verse 2. And it's the word hevel. And this word is translated... Verse 2, That should actually read the second word. My mistake is only in verse 2 of chapter 1. It's used five times in verse 2 of chapter 1. It's used in the course of this book 35 times. 35 times in a 12-chapter 12, 12 book. Short chapters, some of them. 35 times, that's more than half of the whole uses of, of that word in the entire Old Testament this is the key word for the book. It's translated vanity in the ESV. Here are other translations of it. King James and ESV, vanity. NIV translates it meaningless. The NET, the new what, knew whatever Bible calls it, futile. All right? The, the Holman Christian Standard absolute futility. The message, smoke. Nothing but smoke. Now, the word is like a lot of words in the Old Testament. Biblical Hebrew is a very material language. It starts with physical stuff and then draws figures out of that, so to speak. So the word itself means something very material. It's the word for fog, for vapor, for mist. For breeze. So when it's used figuratively, like it is here, it carries the idea of things being what they would be like in a fog. So things are fuzzy and hard to focus on. Things are shifting and swirling as as the fog moves around. Things are obscured and hard to see. And how you see it is always changing. Here's the point. Hevel is a word that talks not about things as they are, but rather about how we see things. It's not making statements about life. It's making statements about how we see Life. How difficult it is to understand things in life. In other words, the word does not mean meaningless or vain or worthless. I say that on good authority. Let me defend my statement. One of the most exciting things happening these days in the global church is a concerted and partnered effort to translate the Bible into the remaining languages where there is little or no scripture. So there are 6,300 languages approximately on the face of the globe. 3,800 of those languages have little or no uh, Christian scripture, no Bible in them. 3,800 of 6,300. So there's this effort going on. And to that end, linguists and biblical scholars are combining efforts, and they're producing handbooks of translation for each book in the Bible. And there's a handbook on the book of Ecclesiastes. And here's what the handbook says about the word Hevel. We do not agree that Hevel means vain. Meaningless or worthless. In Ecclesiastes, Hevel most often means incomprehensible, enigmatic, mysterious, impossible to understand. In other words, shrouded with a fog or a mist. Getting this right, getting the meaning of Hevel right, is really important to this book. It's like making sure that you get on the right train at the train station. If you're up at Penn Station in New York City and you think you're on a train to Princeton Junction when actually you're on a train to Mawa, you have real problems. You will not wind up at Princeton. You will wind up at Mawa. It's so important to make the right choice up front before you leave the station. And it's the same thing here. It's so important to get a a clear understanding of what this word Hevel means before you even dig down into the book. This book is not saying that life is worthless or that things are, are empty and futile. It is instead saying that life is like driving in a thick fog. It's really hard to see. It's really hard to tell what's coming up. It's really hard to know, even with, with GPS, it's really hard to know, Wait, is this where I turn? It's really hard to make sense of God and what he's doing in the stuff going on around us. That's why we need Ecclesiastes. Because God, through this book, calls all of us to be realistic Be realistic about what you can and cannot understand. Don't let your Christian faith, don't let the absolute certainty of the gospel, the absolute clarity of what God has done in Jesus Christ, dying for our sins, rising again, a... a, a, ascending to the right hand, coming back to rescue us. Don't let the absolute certainty of those things make you think that therefore you have absolute certainty about everything else in your life. Because you don't. I don't. Life is like driving in a fog. You just can't always tell what's going on. Verse 2, in other words, is Rather than saying vanity of vanities, it's saying enigma of enigmas, puzzle of puzzles. Who can figure it out? Life is impossible to understand. That's especially the case, especially hard, better way to put it, because there's a lot of bad stuff out there. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of sin. There's a lot of injustice sin in here too, in here. We have to be realistic. Being realistic is part of a Christ-honoring, deferential, reverent faith. Carolyn Mahaney wrote a piece that's in the Desiring God website. and She says this so well. Here's what she wrote. The sooner we face the fact that we live and work in a sin-cursed world where there's a lot lot of injustice out there, there's a lot of brokenness, the sooner we get that, the more realistic and stable we will be in our faith. Get Ecclesiastes and we can learn to meet life's unhappy business with pluck, even with humor. We won't be so quick to doubt God and we will finally have a settled peace in our heart. Third word. My time is running out. Third word is the word mashmaroth. It's translated nails in verse 11 of chapter 12. So let's turn over to chapter 12. At the end of the book, Solomon kind of uh, Koheleth. <laughs> Koheleth steps out and he, he, he gives us some of the, 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 the thinking The process, the purposes, the strategy of this book. I wish I could comment on all of it, but I only have time to look at verse 11. We read this. The words of the wise, now he's presenting himself as wise in this book. So he's saying, these words that I've written, among others, are like goads and are like nails Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. And they're given by one shepherd. They're given by God. Now, when he says that they're like nails, nails firmly fixed are collected sayings. Ecclesiastes is like a nail firmly fixed. What he's saying is that in this book there are truths that are firm. Nails Firmly fixed, nails well sunk, nails pounded all the way in. Truths that are firm, truths that are secure, truths that you can count on. He's saying, I've given you some of those in this book. His strategy is presented there in verse 11. He's saying, this book consists of goads and nails. Now, you know what a goad is? go to like a cattle prod or the spurs on a cowboy's boot. You know, a prod is a stick. It's got a little sharp point to it. And you kind of poke the animal to get the animal moving. The cowboy spurs, you know, he kind of kicks him into the side of the horse to get the horse moving. See, that's what I've done with this book. I've given you stuff to get you moving, to get you thinking, to go deeper in your faith, to deal with the stuff out there that, that, that it's so easy in our community of faith to just be blind to. I've given it to you to get you going. But he's saying, I've also given you nails. Truths that you can count on. And there are truths in this book. God's judgment, joy, but the chief truth, the one that he repeats throughout the book at certain key moments, is the one that he concludes the book with. Look at verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Here now comes his nail, the nail. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I love that last phrase. This is the whole duty of man. You could, you could translate it just as well. This is what God had in mind when he made us. To fear him and to keep his command. If the word Hevel says to us, as christians be realistic then the word mashmerov nails says be reverential fear god keep his commands give him due place for who he is don't try to be god but instead with humility allow him to be god and you to be his child Through his great grace in Jesus Christ. My time's up. You and I really need Ecclesiastes. Let me conclude by making three links between what I've said and and everyday life. Link number one those moments when you're saying, Why is all this happening to me? Ecclesiastes says, Be realistic. Enigma of enigmas. All is enigma. Who knows why this is happening to you? God does. But you don't. Just trust him. Another moment. I, I give up. Life is just, it's life, life is just unjust, nasty, brutish, and short. And Ecclesiastes says... Be reverential. Fear God. Life is a fog. But just like the sun is always shining above any cloud bank, above any, any, any fog. So God is, and always was, and always will be, God. Third link, how does my Christian faith, how does Christianity itself, how does the gospel relate to all this? God has spoken to us clearly in Jesus Christ about who he is, about our need. he's, He's rescued us in Jesus Christ by Jesus' death and his resurrection. And these things have no fog around them. And while this life may be a fog, the life to come, the one that Jesus purchased for us with his own blood, that that day, that day will be like the clearest, the absolute clearest of October days, you know bright blue sky, no clouds, radiant sunshine. That's where we're headed. Let's pray together. Father God, would you please rescue us from cynicism? Would you please rescue us from triumphalism? Would you please grant to us balanced, reverential, realistic faith? in a Messiah who is 100% sure and certain. We pray in his great name, the name of Jesus. Amen.